0: Turn to First Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair rack near you. And first Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 would be on page 991. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I will start in verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 2, our sermon text today will be verses 9 through 15. I want you to know as we begin today that your gender is not an accident. It is God-given, God-determined your gender, God created you as male or female in the womb of your mother long before you were born. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we are told this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, You may remember that at the end of the sixth day of creation, the Lord said it was very good. Uh, Not just good, as he had said uh, at the end of the first five days of creation, but the Lord said on the sixth day, at the end of the sixth day, it is very good. So both male and female have value because we're created by God in his image and likeness for his glory. In fact, it is fitting and it is right when we reflect on our creator to give him praise, to to worship him. Uh, The psalmist says of his creator in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 18, listen as I quote, for you formed Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Creation reveals the glory of God. But more than that, creation is meant to lead you to worship the Creator. But it's not just creation that leads you to worship. Salvation leads you to worship. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 14, we are reminded that those redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus are redeemed so that we would be a people who live for the praise of God's glory. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4? In in that conversation, Jesus said, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Um, That included the people of Samaria and not just those in Jerusalem and in Judea. In fact, the Father sent the Son to redeem a people from all nations who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. So that's the great opportunity for all of us here today, but it also created a bit of a problem in the early church. The, The nation of Israel had been given... Lots of instruction about how to worship the Lord as Old Covenant members. But when the gospel was taken also to the Gentiles, instruction for worship was really needed. And so in this letter of 1 Timothy, Paul teaches the church how to function and how to worship as a church. In fact, the the theme that I have suggested for this study is this, fight the good fight of faith. And, and that's what Paul is urging Timothy to do so that worship is done in ways that is in step with the gospel or fitting with the gospel. Now, in chapter two, already, we have learned that both prayer and the gospel are priorities for ministry, uh, the, the kind of ministry that we have to a broken world. In fact, we're taught that We are to pray for all kinds of people, even kings and presidents and all those who are in high positions. Last week, we learned that it's God's desire that in every place, male leaders in the church should pray, lifting holy hands without sinful anger and without quarreling. And following verse 8, which gives those instructions about male leaders in a church... Verse 9 continues by saying, likewise also. And then what follows are specific instructions for women who are eager to worship. I say women who are eager to worship because that is what the gospel produces. The new covenant is established with the shed blood of Jesus and it gives us a new heart. We are given this new desire For God, the the gospel produces worshipers of the true and living God. Just as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, that the Father is seeking people who worship in spirit and in truth. And the word spirit there in John 4.23 is not referring to, I don't think, to the Holy Spirit, but, but referring to the person worshiping the Father with all of their being, with their whole being, wherever you are. It's not that you have to go to a temple in Jerusalem. Wherever the church gathers, you worship with your whole being in truth. And this is true for both men and women. Both men and women are created by God in his likeness and image, and both men and women are redeemed by Jesus for the praise of his glory. And more than that, during his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated a great value for women. For one thing, the Holy Son of God, it's amazing, the Holy Son of God was born of a woman, Uh, In addition to that, it was a team of women who faithfully cared for Jesus' needs throughout his earthly ministry. Women remained at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified, long after the male disciples were in hiding because of their fear. Even as he was dying on the cross, Jesus gave instructions for the care of his mother after his death. It was women who went to the tomb before sunrise on the third day to anoint Jesus' body with burial spices. And it was to women that the resurrected Jesus first appeared. And it was women who were charged with the responsibilities to go to the disciples and tell them that the Lord was alive. Added to that in Acts As the early church was growing and spreading, many men and women are commended by name for their vital service to the church. So Paul gives the church in Ephesians instruction, or in Ephesus, instructions for worship. Women who were eager to worship. Here are instructions for work, for worship. And the first thing that he says in verse 9 is this, women eager to worship should clothe themselves with modesty. Verse 9 says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Now in verse 8, Paul had to address male leaders and their tendency to lead and worship with unholy lives and doing so with sinful anger and a quarrelsome spirit. And Paul obviously spoke those things because that was a problem that needed to be addressed. Here, the way women carried themselves and clothed themselves must have been an issue in the church. Most likely, women were dressing in such a way that they became the focus rather than God. It seems like they were carrying themselves in a way designed to be noticed by others, to draw attention to self. However, when the church gathers for worship, or eyes, our eyes should be drawn to the beauty of Christ and not what women are wearing. And so Paul exhorts them to clothe themselves with modesty. Now, I, I think that the exact opposite of modesty would be something like what happens at a red carpet event at some fancy Hollywood event. Um, you get the sense when, you, when, when Hollywood arrives for the Emmy Awards that they have worked hard to find the most unique expensive show-stopping outfit that everyone will be talking about. And I would suggest that is not how women should arrive at church for worship. The the concept of modesty is a good word to summarize, I think, all of what Paul says here. Uh, By definition, modesty is the appearance intended to avoid impropriety, impropriety or indecency, it is a way of dressing that shows reverence for God, respect for God. Uh, respectable apparel here speaks of something that is well ordered or balanced. It's not over the top. So, self control is mentioned to point to the need for good judgment and moderation. So. Women who adorn themselves in respectable apparel will make themselves beautiful not by having outlandish hair, flashy jewelry, or expensive designer clothes, but with godliness and good works. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But let me say first that if you're here this morning with a braid in your hair, uh, I don't want you to feel like you got to take it out. Um, you don't have to take off any gold jewelry if you have gold jewelry. You don't have to only wear frumpy clothes that you buy at a rewear store. the The heart of the matter is what really is important here. Don't dress to draw attention to self. don't Don't dress to kill. Don't uh, instead dress in an intentional, thoughtful way to show respect. And reverence for God. You want your life, everything about you, to draw attention to God, not yourself. Now, in a very real sense, you don't want your clothes or your hair or your jewelry to be the thing that people think of most when they think of you. Instead, as verse 10 says, women eager to worship will clothe themselves with godliness and good works. Again, verse 9, verse 10 say, Likewise also that women should, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So a woman who claims to be a follower of Jesus ought to care more about godliness than they do their own physical appearance if if you are growing in godliness the character of christ is being molded into your life more and more in such a way that god is glorified and if godliness is your primary concern you will be concerned with developing a life devoted to good works um, you know that Ephesians 2:8 and 9 teaches us that we're saved by grace through faith, not works, but then in Ephesians 2:10 we're told, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, should, that we should walk in them. Um, in Titus 3:8, we're told to be devoted to good works. So what are the good works? that we should be devoted to doing? I think that's the critical question. And I very much want to encourage you to see the value and the worth, in fact, the beauty of being devoted to doing good works. But again, what does that include? Well, if we look over in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verses 9 and 10, we read this, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than... 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So we learn a lot of activity there. Uh, we learn about the heart of someone devoted to good works. But, but broader than that, if you take just a quick glance at the other pastoral epistles, you'll notice that good works include being devoted and obedient to sound doctrine, Titus 1, 9 through 16, and so forth. Also, you'll notice that it will include fleeing youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It will include, good works will include submitting to those in authority over you, It will include speaking truth without being argumentative or unkind. It will be, in fact, ready to help whoever is in need. So again, a woman who has a desire to develop Christ-like character in a way that will bring God glory will have a life devoted to good works. And so if you love God, you will love people and this will be evidenced by how you serve and care for others. So women eager to worship God will clothe themselves with godliness and good works. They will develop a reputation for good works. Also as we look at verses 11 and 12 we learn that women eager to worship will embrace their God-given role. Verse 11 says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, this passage does not say women can't teach. Uh, Many women in the church may have the gift of teaching, and there are ways in which that gift of teaching can be used. Uh, For one thing, women have the the great privilege, distinct privilege of teaching their children. In in fact, you have that responsibility even if you don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. Women are called to join the task of passing on the faith to the next generation. You, You may remember that Timothy, the recipient of this letter, had a father who was not a believer. But in 2 Timothy, we learn that Timothy had a grandmother and a mother who were devout worshipers of God and who faithfully taught Timothy the scriptures which we're told God used to prepare his heart for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Women also are taught... In Titus 2 and other places that they have the responsibility to teach younger women. Um, in, In fact, all forms of discipleship involve teaching. So when you're involved in influencing others to follow Christ, you're involved in teaching. And there are, in fact, a plethora of needs and ways for women who are older in the faith to teach women who are younger in the faith. So verses 11 and 12 don't say that women cannot teach. It simply says that women must use that gift of teaching within the structure that God has designed for the church. And in chapter 3, we will learn the qualifications of being an elder or a pastor or an overseer. And there is a lengthy list of qualifications, but in that list, it's clear that an elder or a pastor must be a man, not a woman. God has ordained the structure of the church in such a way that qualified men bear the responsibility to be spiritual leaders. And this requires women to accept that and be submissive to God, uh, God's ordained structure for the church. Now, when when we talk about submissiveness, please remember that all of us, male or female, must be submissive to God-ordained structures. Ultimately, all of us live in submission to the sweet authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are called to submit to the governing authorities of civil government that God has ordained and put in place. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we're even taught that all of us are are commanded to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in that Ephesians 5 context, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, this concept of submission is not just for women. In in fact, we even see the concept of submission within the Trinity. There is a mutual submission, even in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus submitted to the Father. And because of that, in obedience to the Father, laid down his life on the cross. That act of submission, that act of obedience to the Father, the the work that was accomplished there on the cross, reveals the the, the beauty and the glory of God more powerfully than anything else we see. The the Spirit also submits to both the Father and the Son in such a way that everything He does is for the glory of the Father and the Son, not His own. The, The Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son for the purpose of giving us understanding of everything that Jesus taught. The Spirit constantly points us to the Son. So when verse 11 says... Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. It really should not be a foreign concept to a worshiper of God. But I also know that being submissive is often a struggle for some. I think that can happen for a number of different reasons. First, sometimes men like myself who are spiritual leaders in a church are not faithful in how we lead. At at times, elders lead in ways that make it very difficult for people to follow. And that's a problem that needs to be addressed. But secondly, if you do embrace the God-given role for women in the church, you, you do that swimming against a strong current in our culture heavily influenced by a liberal feminist agenda, which is is really something committed to what would be considered liberating women from these shackles. But both of these reasons, I think, can be best understood when we consider what the Lord said to Eve after the fall in Genesis 3.16. There we read... To the woman, he said, the Lord said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So, though the roles for men and women were part of God's creative design and were present before the fall, it was after the fall that these God-given roles would have two primary difficulties. One, a woman's desire will be contrary to her husband's. Or said another way, a woman's temptation in her sinful flesh will be to usurp the leadership of her husband. And two, the man's sinful tendency will, will be to rule over his wife in a harsh heavy-handed way Uh, those are the consequences of the fall which only the gospel can overcome it is only the power of the gospel that can make a husband be a servant leader who genuinely loves his wife in a sacrificial and selfless and sanctifying way It's only the power of the gospel that can produce in a man this desire to cherish his wife and to honor her. It's only the gospel that can make a wife find joy in using all of her gifts and abilities to help her husband be the best man that he can be. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that a wife can find joy and fulfillment in submitting to and following the leadership of her husband. Now, the immediate context of Genesis 3 is the relationship between a husband and wife, but Paul references that, and it certainly has implication for roles within the church as well. Again, verse 11 says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, which... Suggests women there in the Ephesian church were not wanting to submit to the leaders of the church. They wanted to take the lead. They wanted to teach. And it was causing problems. But verse 12 makes God's intent very clear when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain So remember, again, the context here is when the church is gathered together. It's in that context that a woman should not teach men in the church and women should not exercise authority over a man in the church. A woman should not function as a pastor or elder in the church. Um, I, I don't think quiet means they can't speak. I think The context here points to the fact that they should not be teaching and exercising authority over men. It's God's intent for qualified men to exercise authority as leaders and to teach other men and women in the church. Again, women can teach children, women can teach other women in the church, just not men. Now, Some say that this teaching was cultural and therefore it's not applicable in our culture today. But notice the rationale that Paul gives in verse 13. Verse 13 begins by saying, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And What we see here is that a woman's role is revealed in God's creative design. So Paul refers back to creation as the rationale. It it wasn't the Jewish culture, it wasn't the Roman culture that governed this principle. It was God's purpose and desire from the very beginning of time. When God created the man first, he did so for the purpose of delegating to him the authority to lead in the home and the church. This authority is designed uh, is delegated from God and man is accountable to God. This authority is not to be self-serving, but is intended to be uh, to, intended to serve others for God's purposes. It, it's also important to see that Genesis 2, in Genesis 2, God gave the man the responsibility to name the animals. Man didn't take this job upon himself for his own purposes. This was God's design to demonstrate that mankind has dominion over the animal kingdom. It's man's job to steward the animal kingdom for God's purposes. And in that process of seeing and naming all of the animals, Adam became aware. He noticed that there was none like him. And he became aware that he was alone. And God's, God had said it is not good for him to be alone. So God caused him to fall into a deep sleep and took out a rib of the man and fashioned a woman for him to be a helper, perfectly suited to him. So the fact that the woman was made to be a perfect, suitable, complementary helper for the man and not the other way around is the rationale for being charged with the responsibility to be for men to be spiritual leaders in the home and in the church and it's important too to see that man that man was the one who said she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man so verse 13 says for adam was Form first. And then in verse 14, Paul says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a, became a transgressor. Now, at first glance, it may seem like Adam is innocent and Eve bears all of the guilt. Um, at first glance, it may seem like... Um, but, but, but at a, if we take a closer look at this, I would argue... That it's not saying that Adam's innocent and Eve bears all the guilt, but instead, I would argue that the fall affirms the need for both men, for both man and woman to embrace their God given complementary roles. I say that because while Eve was deceived by the serpent, Adam also abrogated his role as leader in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 we're told that Eve ate the forbidden fruit because she was deceived but that while she, that, that when she had done this she gave some to the man who was with him and he also ate so my question is why didn't he speak up why didn't he speak truth into the woman's life why didn't He lead her to follow God in obedience. It's because he failed as a man and as a leader. In fact, you can say Eve was deceived, but Adam deliberately rebelled. Immediately, both Adam and Eve realized that they were naked and felt shame. And then when they heard God approaching them, they hid from God. And when God began to speak, who did he speak to first? It was Adam. Um, because he was most responsible. In fact, um, it was the sin of Adam that infected the entire human race with sin. So I would argue that the fall in Genesis chapter 3 affirms the need for both men and women to embrace their God-given complementary roles. Um, Eve needed the protection that... Adam should have given her, and Adam needed to be uh, the servant who led his wife in obeying God. But I also want you to know that there is great hope. Um, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 preaches the very first gospel message when the Lord promises to send a deliverer from the offspring of the woman. And it is when this deliverer deliverer has come that God will restore both men and women to a right relationship with Him and with each other. In fact, I think that verse 15 of 1 Timothy 2 teaches us that a woman's role in the home and in the church will be seen as a unique, distinct privilege when viewed through the lens of the gospel. Um, Here's what verse 15 says again. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Crystal clear, right? Let, let me make three quick points that I think will help us. First, I, I think you would all agree that certainly no one is saved by their own work. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So Paul here cannot be saying something that contradicts what is taught so clearly in many, many portions of Scripture. Uh, We all know that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Secondly, I think it is a plausible argument to say that it was a woman, singular, Mary, that gave birth to Jesus, who is our salvation. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. So, I think this clearly fulfills the promise of Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman brought forth our deliverer. But I think that there is also a third point that can go along with our second point. It's this. This reference to being saved through childbearing is a way to say that a woman has been given a unique and valuable role as a mother. And... When a woman is born again and finds life in Jesus Christ, she is enabled to embrace that role as a mother, if they continue on in faith, in love and holiness and self-control. Now, I know that in God's good but hidden purpose, there are times that He does not bless a woman with the ability to bear a child, and this often brings a pain that only God can comfort. Um, But the point of this verse is that it is a woman, not a man, that has this distinct privilege to bear children. And if a woman who belongs to Jesus Christ... Um, for, for this woman who does belong to Jesus Christ. She is enabled to accept this role as a childbearer and to do that as an exercise of love for that little one and, that, and love for God in all holiness, what is pure and good and, in fact, self-control. When... When we read these truths in the day in which we live, how can we not think of and be saddened by the way in which too many women in our culture talk about having children? Um, For too many today, being pregnant is seen as a liability. Bearing children is seen as a hindrance to their own personal freedoms and ambitions. So, so much so that women today will often boast about the baby that they have killed in their womb so that their own lifestyle is not hindered. They are proud about that choice. And in fact, they tenaciously fight for their own lifestyle and their own right uh, to choose. I would argue this is the epitome of evil and selfishness. It is murder to intentionally take the life of a baby in a mother's womb. It's also rebellion against God's perfect design for women to have the privileged role to bear children. We are, in fact, commanded to multiply and fill the earth. It also grieves my heart when more and more people today are confused by their own biological sex and gender. Uh, People today want to talk about all sorts of confusing things like men having babies. Uh, This idea of wanting to change your gender is an expression of rebellion against God. Now, I, I know these are no little matters. I also know that it's very possible that someone here this morning has had an abortion or encouraged an abortion in the past. Uh, I want you to know that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Uh, I want you to know that there is mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. And Jesus would simply say, confess your sin to him. Trust him as the one who gave his life on the cross to wash away the guilt of your sin. And my prayer is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring you deep and lasting comfort and peace. It's also possible that someone here this morning, has experienced confusion about their role as a man or a woman. And if that's a struggle that you have, I would say run. Run to Jesus. He, he has answers. He can help. He alone can help. He wants to help. Run. Run to Jesus. And, and as we close, really on a subject that is very weighty and, in many ways, very difficult. My my prayer is that God will give us clarity, that God will give us clarity that only Scripture can bring, that God would give us the desire and the ability to embrace our God-given roles as a man or as a woman. And may we be faithful to be and to do all that God has commanded us to be and to do, and to do this in a way that would be good for the building up of the church and for the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, it really is with humility that we bow our hearts before you this morning. father we confess that we as human beings can really mess things up big time when we think we know better than you and we go off on our own and really ignore you ignore what you reveal through your sacred word when we minimize or discount your teaching and put more emphasis upon what just makes sense to us from our own limited perspective. So, Father, forgive us as a people when we want to go our own way rather than your way. And I would ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit and through the life that you give to us in Jesus, help us to understand and to embrace um, your wisdom in creating male and female with distinct but complementary roles that together we reflect you. Together as male and female, we have value before you. And I pray, Father, that we would function here within this church and within our homes that we as men would be servant leaders who genuinely love our wives in sacrificial and sanctifying and selfless ways that we would be men who work hard to live with our wives in an understanding way and to cherish them And Father, I I pray that you would help us to be the kind of spiritual leaders that would help uh, those that are entrusted to our care to know you and to delight in you and to follow you. Father, help us to embrace the roles that you have for us and may we do this in ways that will reflect your character for the praise of your name. Lord, we are reminded that we are weak, but you are strong. Help us to go from here today really relying upon you. Uh, may you work powerfully in us and through us for the building up of this church and for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.